Welcome to the Partnership Economy. This podcast explores the power of partnerships through candid conversations with industry leaders. Join our hosts, Dave Yavano, CEO, and Todd Crawford, co-founder of Impact.com, as they unpack the future of partnerships as a lever for scale and an opportunity to put the consumer first. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Partnership Economy podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Todd Crawford with Impact.com. And today I have Anna Samkova from the PASS Group. Welcome to the show, Anna. Thank you, Todd. It's a pleasure to be here. So just to help everybody understand who the PASS Group is, why don't you kind of give us an overview of the company and the brands underneath it? With pleasure. Uh, The PASS Group was established in 2004, and it's one of the leading apparel and sport businesses in Australia and the Asia Pacific. So it's split into two divisions. We have wholesale and retail. Under retail, there are two major brands that form that division. It's the brands that have physical stores and concession stores through one of the department stores in Australia. So that's Review Australia and Black Pepper brands. And within the wholesale division, we have multiple brands. That's Yara Trail, Marco Polo, Everlast, and many licensed products as well. We currently have around 19 licenses under DesignWorks, which forms part of the PaaS group. So it's a massive Massive organization. Across the group, we have about 184 physical stores now and concessions. I'm not sure if you call them concessions in uh, in America, but that means that our brands have a strong presence within the uh, big department stores. And we only have two in Australia. It's mine and Debbie John's. Right. So kind of like a store within a store almost, like a little kiosk. Right. Or, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Like what so- you have Nordstrom and the brands within Nordstrom. Correct. Yeah, I get it. So you're the group general manager for digital and marketing. What does that mean? I have a big job, Todd. Yes. <laughs> what it means. I've been at PAS for 12 years. I started as a loyalty consultant. And my prime objective was to launch a loyalty program between two retail brands at that time, which I did. I have marketing background. So I have moved into marketing, looked after the retail brands again, and then Looked after digital when digital didn't exist. So it's kind of got my interest and I started to grow it and the management asked me to grow it full time. So I had a privilege of being across digital and its infancy and see it evolve and grow, which I'm very grateful for this experience because, you know, there are a lot of people that say I have two or three years experience and I'm an expert, but, you know, I have 12 years experience and I'm still not an expert and I'm learning every day and I make a lot of mistakes and I just keep learning. Just want to make sure that I don't make the same mistake twice. But that means that I look after digital marketing and loyalty departments within the entire group that have the online presence. So across all of the brands, you're managing a team for online digital marketing and loyalty. Correct. So we currently have six brands and we're launching the seventh one next week, actually. And we're opening the physical store for that brand in a couple of weeks. Well, okay. So I guess that's where we are today over kind of your career there in 12 years. What have you done? How has it evolved? I mean, because I think a lot of companies are at different stages and there are a lot of brands or companies that have multiple brands, you know, all over the world, within the United States, within Europe, obviously, where you guys are in Australia. 
And so I think I've talked to a lot of brands and you guys have gone through something that I think is very important to point out. And that's that kind of consolidation from every brand having their own marketing team and making their own decisions independently to a much more coordinated, even though the brands are separate and even in the consumer's mind, they might not even realize they're owned by past group. How did that happen? Because that's not normal, right? People don't usually start that way. And there's usually a lot of infighting because everybody wants to be in charge or everybody wants to keep what they have. You're right. It's not normal. And you know why? Because it's not easy. It's really difficult to restructure and take that control away. Not that we want the control, but we wanted to create the center of excellency. So maybe let me take you on the journey. And I'm actually, when I think about it, when you ask me this question, what has happened in 12 years, there is a lot. I probably, I feel like I've been doing this now for 25 years, not 12, because we evolve so quickly. And when it comes to digital and loyalty, we're actually the leading group in the country. So many brands use us as a benchmark. And not because we try to be the best and the biggest, but it just happened that way. So we have a fantastic balance, you know, being customer-centric but data-driven. And I think this is our winning advantage. So when I launched with the team of people, obviously, I launched loyalty um, programs uh, at PaaS. We started um, collecting a lot of data around our customer behavior and their transactional history. And that form an amazing overview of who our customers are and what they do. So that has taken us on that personalized journey. And right now, and it has been the case for the last couple of years, few years, not just a couple of years, actually many years, that 76% uh, of all transactions, loyalty transactions which is a large percentage. So you still want to split that into new customer acquisition, but we are adamant about nurturing the cohort of those people that are engaged with the brand and very loyal to the brand as well. That comes with a lot of responsibility because it's it's somewhat easier to acquire new customers and throw a discount at them, but it's not as easy to look after customers that shop with you all the time because you need to keep delighting them and surprising them and looking after them. So that's one part of the evolution. And we ended up launching the CDP platform. We stopped spraying prey five, six years ago. So personalization for us, it's probably, it's not a new thing for us anymore. We don't really talk about it. It's just the way we do business these days. So the, the CDP platform, when we launched, like there are people on the market could not even pronounce it and didn't know what it is. And I get a lot of questions asked about CDP and should they, other brands launch it or not? And, you know, there is a different answer to different brands, but it worked beautifully for us. It allowed us to look after our customer in the most intimate way. And they appreciate it because that grew the CLB and um, the engagement with the brand as well. So again, not easy, but very rewarding. And the part that you mentioned about consolidating the team, I think it has not happened overnight, just a disclaimer. And it has taken quite a few years to create the business case and prove to the business that center of excellency across digital and marketing is a powerful thing. So you don't have to double up and hire more people to do the same thing. When you have one team of people doing similar things across different brands, there is a difference with the brands because they are quite demographically diverse. We cover the ages from infants to 80 plus years old men and women. So 
you have to be careful. You can't take a cookie cutter approach and do the same initiatives and run the same features across all the brands. But the team are very diverse and they know the brands very well. So it works beautifully for us. And our current attribution from online sales to total business sales sits around 25-30%. Depends on the brand, but on average, it's about 30%. So the consolidation of the team has proven to be very successful and very profitable for the business. But I suppose when you have a group of brands, that's the one thing that you look at, where the synergies and what can be consolidated. It's no point to expanding your org chart just for the sake of it. And I also believe that not all brand managers have a vast knowledge in what's happening, the latest and the greatest across digital and loyalty and marketing. Know that they should because that's not their role. Their job is to grow the business overall, right? They have a lot to consider and to think about it, like developing the product and look after the supply chain and make sure that merchandise planning is um, up to speed. Therefore, there has to be a dedicated team of people that look after that innovation and growth and driving all the initiatives. So we found it to be exceptionally successful and we, we never looked back. With the budgets for marketing, I guess you have to kind of, I mean, you're almost like an agency for all these brands. So you have to kind of pitch to them and say, you spent this much, we think you should spend this much, and here's why, and here's what we'll do with it. Is that kind of how you have to get budget from each brand independently? Or does the past group just say, here's your budget and here's your goals? Or how does that happen? Well, my department, we have our own budget for the group. But the general managers of each brand, they're responsible for the P&L as well. Therefore, they need to be across the spend. And you want them to be, right? Because that uh, drives that level of ownership that we appreciate. And I do have to be friends with (laughs) all managers within the group, and there are a lot. Because every single one of them operates differently. And you pretty much sometimes have to sell the dream. But that's the challenges of the job. But I'm enjoying that part as well. We don't always agree, but that's why being very analytical and data-driven is very helpful because the conversations, well, with me anyway, they're not based on opinions. They're based on data. Yeah, I mean, I am seeing more and more companies that you know have more like a portfolio of brands or business units, things like that. It seems like it is a, an efficiency and a trend to create this center of excellence. I know we had Foot Locker on and they talked about it. And I've, I've had several conversations with other companies where that, that's kind of happened. Even if it's just one person, much less the whole team, but at least one person who can say, kind of the conductor of the orchestra, I guess you could say. And whether that's on the same brand in different geos, like a global footprint, or more of like a domestic like you and that has multiple brands. So I think... It's not easy, as you pointed out, to get there, but it seems like the benefits far outweigh the anxiety or reluctance to get there just from costs and ability to execute. I agree, because in our case, Todd, what we've noticed that that's what propels growth. Because someone has to initiate it, someone has to create business cases and business studies and do the analysis and prove that we need to launch certain initiatives and prioritize it over something else. Because the brand managers, and I love them, but they do have to look after business as usual. And that's their main priority. 
and hit their budgets. But that center of excellency for us, we look after what is the next step and we have more of a helicopter view, but quite hands-on as well. Because personally for me, I can't come up with any strategies unless I'm across the detail. If I don't know what the customers are doing, what their painful moments are, what their headaches, I cannot possibly come up with a strategy just because then I'm not customer-centric. So I really need to understand what is happening right now. And I speak with the store people as well, with customer service, because I think they can uh, they know more about um, what we should be doing for our customers than I do and many people in my team because we don't interact with the customer face-to-face on a daily basis. So I draw a lot of inspiration from them, uh, from I, those I people actually a- serving customers every day. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I mean, even being a SaaS company, it's important to understand what customers think of your product and your service and your support. And it's the same with uh, retail, right? Like, what are customers saying? What do they like? You know, what are any issues? Anything that, you know, you don't want to spend money if everybody's unhappy, right? That you need to get the customer happy and then spend marketing dollars, right? Otherwise, it might be going to waste, especially on the loyalty side. If they're, something's not working right or they don't feel like they're, and it's engaged, right? I agree. But I think impact uh, um, is very good at it because you do facilitate many events face-to-face. Now that I'm thinking about it, and you keep the relationship growing as well. So I, I have people from your team contacting me all the time. They're in touch with me all the time. It's quite unusual. So it's not when it's, the contract is up for the annual renewal, but any time in between, they're just checking in. And vice versa, I think it's two-way traffic too. I think it's important to instigate those conversations. And for me, why I'm enjoying those conversations, because you are the best at what you do. For me, this is just one of many components of my job. But I would love to know what can I do better. And I can only find out from the experts. And you are the expert in that field. You, by the way, have a fantastic team in Australia. Thanks. That's always nice to hear. I mean, they're far away from where I sit, but I interact with them on Zoom a lot. And we share a lot of um, recordings because sometimes the time zones don't match up. So, you know, when they want to share a success story or some information, they'll cut a video and share it with the rest of the company. So it's challenging having a big global footprint because of time zones, but that team has been just great. And I hear what you're saying about them echoed a lot with other customers. So it's always nice to hear. If you're enjoying this podcast and want to learn more about how you can get the most out of partnerships, check out the Partnership Economy book by our very own host, David A. Ivano. The Partnership Economy, which you can order at thepartnershipbook.com, uses real-life examples from brands like Fabletics, Target, Ticketmaster, and Walmart to highlight the true potential of modern partnerships for your business. That kind of, you know, you kind of point out Something important as a marketer, I mean, you probably have, I can't even imagine how many SaaS vendors you currently work with across all of your marketing needs. And although some are plug and play and you probably don't have to really talk to them much, but it is a good reminder that if they're not reaching out to you, maybe you need to reach out to them just to engage and make sure you're up to speed with everything they're launching or going to launch or your needs, maybe some input as well as just, like you said, getting some information that you might not know or have. I mean, that's part of the reason you're partnering with them, I hope, right? That they're, that's a kind of a give and take, like you said. Todd, you know, I really miss any monthly account overview calls. I learn 
on those calls more than I learn anything in between. There is always something that take out of it. And we almost, nine out of 10, we run one of the initiatives that we mentioned on the call, we just run with it. And I think that's what contributes to our growth as well, because we don't know what we don't know. But you always need to be inquisitive. And it's not just reaching for the stars all the time, but it's also understanding what is happening right now across the platforms that we already integrated and we already have. So to ensure it's not a set and forget. Because you can imagine across all brands, our tech stack is hectic. It's very complex. Even for me, and I probably was initiated the entire setup and building on top of that, but it does look very intense. And it's very easy to set and forget, you know, have all these automation journeys you don't have to look after. But yeah, there is a dangerous part to it. And the downside is that you don't dive deeper, you don't do the analysis, and it's doesn't create a great experience for our customers. So I just need to make that conscious decision to check in on a monthly basis and unpack it and have a look. Is it worthwhile leaving the process as is or do we need to disrupt it and recreate and build something else? So I'm very well known as a disruptor for sure. Well, Anna, you said something that I love to say all the time, and it's really one of my favorite statements is you don't know what you don't know. It's so true. And that curiosity or openness just to listen, because you may, like you said, you just get that one little thing and you're like, we didn't think of it that way, or we didn't even realize that, or we never knew that. And now we're able to, even if you don't do anything with it, it's just another piece of information you have that you didn't have. And I think that's really important in kind of, you know, again, engaging with Anybody in the industry, whether it's a vendor, a partner, a colleague, you know, it's just trying to learn more, trying to, like I said, figure out what you don't know. I can let you know a little secret, Todd, that listening is probably one of the most important skills I learned through my journey. And I tell you, it doesn't come naturally to me. So it's a conscious effort, of course. Well, I think it's just I'm getting better at it now. But this is the listening to and tuning in, like what you do during these calls. I think you're a very good listener. That's why your interviews are so good to listen to. And I listen whilst I commute to your podcast interviews. And I really enjoy it. And you always lead to something else based on what that person that you interview is saying. So very, very important skill. And I think especially in the leadership role, It's not what we say, it's what we do that is important, but we always need to be led by people. But you can only be in that position if you actually learn how to listen to them and hear what they say. Yeah, I love these podcasts too, because I learn something new. I hear something I haven't heard before. A lot of times what I say is, you know, you may be very familiar with the subject and you've always looked at it from this perspective. And then you talk to somebody who sees it from this perspective. And just that shift in perspective, you suddenly see it in a different way. And that helps you to deal with it better. I mean, data is a good example. I mean, a lot of people look at data very flat. And when you suddenly have more robust access to more robust data presentation, and you can look at it from two or three different perspectives, you understand that data better, right? It's in a way that you couldn't just looking at it like in cells on a spreadsheet, for example. So true. You know, one of the figures I listen to very frequently said something very profound that I never forgot, that the ultimate transformation, form of transformation, but not the circumstance, but a perspective. And I think that perspective part is just so important because it can shift at any point. 
Well, speaking of perspective, I want to get into my usual questions here. So I'm interested in what's top of mind for you right now with everything you've got going on. Sure. Do you know, I think I will shock you by saying that the top of mind is going back to basics. It's not adding more complex technology and more SaaS platforms, but looking into the relevant partnerships, brand collaborations, nurturing the relationship, looking into data. We're working on the program right now where we see how we can shift people who purchase from us once into two-time buyers and people who purchase twice into three-time buyers. So that's an interesting program to work on because that requires a lot of data analysis and setting up through our backend. And because we operate in the omni-channel environment, so it has to flow from point of sale to our email communication, SMSs, and there, there are so many platforms that we're using all the time and so many journeys. So looking into the journeys, we are launching, relaunching the loyalty program for one of the retail brands, and that's the big project for us. We're replatforming. We're launching the new brand, establishing the online presence for one of the new brands as well. So that's never an easy project and probably new experience, as you know. Replatforming is an absolute nightmare. I've done it so many times in my career and never look forward to it because it's full of bugs and it takes the entire team to fix it for months. Yes, there is a lot of that, but I think focusing, stay customer-centric no matter what, that's definitely top of mind. And because our data is so refined and we always so heavily segment our data as well, that comes from with the level of responsibility because it's so much easier to spray and pray and just send the communication to everyone, but it just requires a lot of thinking and strategic thinking as well when you start considering what these customers actually need to receive from you based on on their journey with the brand. And it's not about what we want to tell them, but what it is that they want to hear. So diving into that has been very important for us. We had a lot of success through win-back campaigns as well in the last 12 months. We recovered millions of dollars through that. So there is a lot. Our roadmap looks quite intense. But we thrive on it. We love it just because, you know, the space moves so fast. So it carries the responsibility for us to provide the best shopping experience for our customers. And customers' expectations, as you know, they quite spoiled with the, the Amazon offering and Netflix, AI, powerful suggestions and Uber Eats and everything in between. So you just want to, it's a pursuit to that seamless experience. And it's hard. It's just not easy. As you know, and it's quite costly as well. So I just need to understand how to prioritize it, what would be important, what would be urgent, and plan it accordingly and take the team on the journey as well. Yeah, you said in the beginning there, getting back to the basics. And I really appreciate that because I think it's so easy to get caught up in way down the road stuff that you lose that foundational centering that can, it just holds the perspective and the skills in a, in the center that people get too far out in the edge and you kind of forget things or you're past that and you never really are. I mean, the fundamentals are the fundamentals. It's kind of like if you play golf or tennis, it's not uncommon to get kind of a fundamentals lesson again from a coach because just making sure, hey, my grip was off or the way I'm swinging is the way I'm holding my head, whatever. I've lost the fundamentals. And I think, you know, trying to have a team all 
feel confident that they're focused on the fundamentals and understand the fundamentals the same way is challenging, especially the bigger the organization. And it's just, to me, a reminder to kind of come back to that. And again, to me, you can build off, off a strong foundation, but if somebody has a weak foundation, it's hard to build off of it. And then that, to me, is key there is kind of always coming back to like the fundamentals, a refresher, kind of just thinking about it a little bit consciously, as opposed to saying it's in the back of my head and that's good enough. I wholeheartedly agree with you and the complexity of adding new people to the team as well. Exactly. And take them on that journey because you potentially may have forgotten the fundamentals because it happened a few years ago and you moved on to bigger and greater things. But how do you go back and set up the team for success? Well, and I don't normally plug impact.com in our podcast, but it does make remind me that we do have a partnership experience academy that we created and we have a lot of resources around it. We have a lot of people in the industry contributing to it and it's essentially free to the whole industry. It's not about impact, but these kind of fundamental skills and uh, that you can learn online and then kind of graduate through all the courses and you literally get the equivalent of a little mini certification or degree and it's actually connected to LinkedIn. So you can actually, you can add it to your LinkedIn profile. So everybody listening here, it's just a plug. Just look for Partnerships Experience Academy on our site, impact.com. And it's like I said, it's free. And there's tons of experts in the industry as well as our own internal experts that have contributed. It's not about our platform. It's not about using impact. It's about being successful with partnerships. So that's my plug before we move on to another question I'd like to pick your brain on. And that's really what keeps you up at night besides launching a new brand here in a week. But in general, like what really, when you think about everything all going on, what, what kind of keeps you up at night? Well, you know, if you asked me this question two weeks ago, I would have given you a different answer. But right now, is uh, what keeps me up at night. I have not slept properly for two weeks is what's happening in my country. I'm not sure if you're aware, but I am from Ukraine originally. I moved to Australia about 29 years ago. But from the beautiful city of Odessa that hopefully they're not going to bomb, that's the third largest city in Ukraine. And I do unfortunately have a lot of family and friends there now. So for me, you know, I set up a completely new benchmark. So when people come to me and complain about the weather, I suggest to them that to put the TV on and have a look what's happening around the world. So yeah, it's heartbreaking and I'm not going to go into politics, obviously, on the call, but that's the to your generic question, that's my answer. So I just hope that they're all going to survive through it. And I know they already won this war, but hopefully there won't be more casualties. And I know that thousands and thousands of people are dying right now on both sides. And it's hard to see. It's hard to hear. I'm on the phone with them every day. But yeah, it's really difficult right now. So that's one part of it. And Well, I hear you. I mean, it's top of our mind too. I mean, we've brought it up at our, we do a all hands huddle every Thursday. So today is our Thursday. I know it's your Friday. And we definitely talk about things like that that are affecting us and the world. And I can't imagine it's got to be even more difficult being all the way in Australia while this is happening with family there. So yeah, so just you feel very helpless. But you know, yeah. I'm not sure if I ever mentioned before, but I love Stoic philosophy. And one of the profound things that I've learned through it, that if you want to be alive, you have to be tough. So it's not what happens to you, it's how you react to what happens to you. And life is not easy. We all know that. Everyone's got something going on in their lives and it just tests you every single time. But at the same time, whilst we're still alive, it just flexes that resilience muscle even more. 
So I'm helping in any way I can. And there is something that I can do, which is amazing. But I'm in disbelief, to be honest. I know that the world didn't see it coming. The Ukrainians didn't see it coming. No one knew that this is what's going to transform 80 years after we lost 50 million people. (laughs) We haven't learned anything. So, yes, interesting lessons through that. You know, we always learn. The lessons if we want to through history or through professional life through my career i've learned uh, many many lessons but stoicism i think is just something that it's very practical and it's good to incorporate into our daily lives because it really helps to deal with many challenges we all face i hear you i mean it's a lot of this is nice to learn lessons and go through hardship but it's also difficult when people are losing their lives so we'll just all hope for a great outcome here and help where we can so absolutely yeah we can only hope all of us so we'll see what happens but uh there will be many many positives through that as well there always are i'm hopeful too so if we were talking two weeks ago what would have been top of mind top of mind todd is for me it's just never ending you know i have this it's not even a dilemma but uh i always think how can i lead the team to greatness how can i support them in their career and their goal? How can they make them better? How can I make myself better? How can I transform into a better leader, a better person to be around and people that can aspire to be around as well and inspirational um, enough for them to achieve what they want to achieve? I have a big team of people and, you know, different personalities. And I believe if you are impactful leader, that will lead to fantastic commercial results it always does but you need to be human too so i think that's what keeps me up at night a short answer to your question is how to be a better human you know i think about that a lot myself i mean especially as a company it doesn't even matter as a company gets bigger which we've been in a very high growth mode i think we're over 800 employees plan to hire 400 more this year but you need an infrastructure of managers and just people that are there to help people, right? Be successful. You can't do it yourself. You know, no founder, no executive can make a company successful by PowerPoint or whiteboard bullet points or something. You know, it takes people to buy in and execute. And I don't think people buy in and execute without good leadership. And that's really the key for any company winning in such a competitive world today. I mean, it's, you know, consumers have so many choices, but so do employees, right? And so today, more than ever, especially with everything going on in the world, having people to lean on and to mentor and help is is just key to any company succeeding. For sure. And especially now, after the two difficult years that we all had across the board, and I would prioritize people over projects anytime. A great thing to say, people over projects. It is. You have to take time for people. Yes, it's time consuming and it can be exhausting, but it's very rewarding. In my opinion, it is. Well, I mean, having great people on your team and retaining them is also far less costly in the long run than having turnover and having to hire new people, get them up to speed and have them become meaningful contributors, you know. So it's keeping, you know, retaining and nurturing what you have is definitely key to everything. I mean, for you to be successful, you need people under you to be successful. You can't be successful without your team, right? And that's where I always kind of look at, you know, I'm trying to help people. Right, be successful, not 
make them successful or have them make me successful, right? That's, I think that's kind of the mental model that you need to have a great team. I kind of agree with you more. Success is just the after effect of everything what you do. It means different things to different people, but that's when listening skills come very handy because people appreciate nothing more than when you actually listen to them, but you practice active listening, not just nodding and thinking about something else, but really trying to hear what it is that they're saying. It's become a lost art with all the internet devices that we're constantly staring at, you know, even in meetings, sometimes people are multitasking and being able to just close the lid on your laptop and look across the table at somebody is, it can make the, you know, it can really create that presence, which I think, again, it's a lot of effort. It's hard because there's so much to get done and it can seem like a disruption, right? Like something you'd rather not deal with right this second, but like you said, prioritizing people over projects. So, hey, speaking of people, I'm interested, you know, you've had a long career, accomplished a lot. Who along the way have you seen as a mentor or someone that's helped you to become as successful as you have that put you on the spot? Taught so many people along the journey. And to your point, for us to be successful, we need to have a team of people. I can't do anything on my own. And along my career and my lifetime, I've met unbelievable people who came, held my hand, showed me the light. And I just, I do have a, an ability to follow the light. That's probably one of not many skills that I, and not many talents that I do have. And I can be very diligent and disciplined and always show up. But I've always, always had incredible support. If I look back, even at my teacher in the kindergarten, I still remember her. And she was a wonderful mentor for me. And it continued on through my school years. I always had people that were my cheerleaders and the biggest supporters. I don't even know how I managed that, but always attracted that, including in my family and my parents and my brother. And then in the current group also, we hire incredible people, amazing talent, and I love them. So it's a pleasure turning up every day and work alongside them. But I have to tell you, I learn from them every single day. Could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. You know, sometimes I learn what not to do, but regardless, it's the biggest lesson. It's kind of interesting. A lot of people think of like mentors or people who help them become successful as somebody maybe above them or to their left or their right. But, you know, you kind of said this is just working with people that are getting excited, seeing them become successful, seeing them figure something out or take something to the next level or just execute efficiently. To me, it inspires me. It gives me that energy and that kind of like almost like reverse mentoring, right? <laughs> Where I feel so proud of the team and their accomplishments. And to me, it's so rewarding, right? And then I guess it's the same as a parent would have, you know, with a child, right? Seeing a child pass a test or do a project or something, just uh, kind of get that warm feeling that they're doing really well and they feel it too. Absolutely. Or your child turning into an exceptional human. And I have a privilege to be a mother to an amazing human being. And she's 27 and she's my biggest achievement. And she is actually one of my mentors as well, because the conversations that I have with her, they're always so profound because she's good. She has different perspective and She's super smart and she has a very successful business, but she's just an exceptional individual apart from all her successes and an exceptional human with the biggest heart. And I think for me as a parent, because you mentioned parenting, that's, that's all I could wish for. Because when you're a good human, you can achieve amazing things. 
And, you know, when you look for inspiration, you can always find it because it's there in front of us all the time. We just need to look for it. So you just have to have that growth mindset as well and not be too stubborn and closed up to all the opportunities around you and just be open and receptive to everything what's going on around you. I think those are great parting words of advice, Anna. I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing all your thoughts. It's always like rewarding for me to talk with so many people in the industry through this podcast. And I think even though you're in Australia, all of this transcends geography. And so it's great to get your perspective. And uh, thanks again for sharing everything. Of course, Todd. Thank you so much for inviting me. And it's been a pleasure having this conversation. I hope your listeners enjoyed it and got something out of it. Mm-hmm.